0: Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado.
1: Computer, this is data.
0: I'm an Android.
1: Cranjus McBasketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Cranjus McBasketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team.
0: (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. And we are here to react to the Lakers winning the first game of the NBA Finals, 116-98. to 98. The score was 18 points at the end, but it was not that close. Tim, quickly, I just want to get into this. This is ridiculous. Did you know that the Lakers went on a 75-30 to 30 run after the Miami Heat grabbed a 13-point lead in the first six minutes of the first quarter?
1: I did not know that. That is insane. I, I think at my that that ninety six minute solo pod that all of the listeners, you know, survived. I guess would be the right word to use. <laughs> went on for longer than this game was competitive. Perhaps I'd have to go check the math. But yeah, it, LA by like halftime was looking really really good. Um, just just I don't know how you leave last night not feeling like holy crap the Lakers, like we're gonna do this this is going to happen. Unfortunately, not maybe under the best circumstances with injuries for Miami, but it's, everything's coming together on the Lakers side and really, really good game. And, I'm glad we saw a lot of of what the listeners were prepared for from that preview pod.
0: Absolutely. We're going to get into a lot of topics today, as we usually do, talking uh, reactions to scheme and adjustments that we would like to see going into the future, as well as breaking down some of the individual aspects of the game from whether it was the Lakers in isolation or, you know, and Miami didn't actually use the 2-3 zone at all. We'll get into the Lakers adjustments for game two and what Miami could possibly do to mitigate some of their injury, bad luck. So Tim, just breaking down really quick, what was your uh, takeaways after the Lakers went down 13 in the first quarter? And what made you, were you worried at that point? Or how can Miami build on that to make this a more competitive series?
1: Yeah. I, at that point in time, I was a little annoyed. Um, We saw the Lakers on offense, We were hitting some shots, but from a putting, like throwing our best punches standpoint, I didn't feel like we started the game out all that well. And then over time, you saw LA seem to get, I don't know if more focus is the right word because it's not that guys weren't locked in, but attacking in the right ways and going after the Miami defense and, and the weaknesses it does have. Whereas on the other side, Miami scored 18 of their first 20 points targeting L.A.'s catch-hedge coverage and handoffs and pick-and-rolls, which was the one thing I talked about last podcast that the Lakers don't want to do because that's what Miami's good at attacking and that's what they were, were beating that Boston threw out there. So very from the start of that, I was like, oh no, this isn't the game plan you want on the Lakers' side. From an offensive standpoint, we were all over the place. Defensively, it was like the one way I didn't want to see them defend. But then after that, we, we saw L.A. attack smarter they switched up their defensive coverages a bit. And just to exemplify how well they, they ended up shutting down a lot of what Miami does, Bam Adebayo had zero assists this game. And he's he's been averaging about five per game in the playoffs. And, and you might say, oh, well, maybe he was unlucky or something. If we look at his potential assists, so the times where he passed to somebody and they even tried to shoot, he only had one of those all game compared to oh. averaging about 11 per game for the rest of the playoffs. So it wasn't just hey, you know, this is some, some wonky uh, box score stats, maybe a little luck involved. LA really shut down that uh, path of BAM as a facilitator. And then with, with Dragic obviously going out, that was another key starter for their offense, one of those offensive engines. And Miami wasn't left with a whole lot. So it was, they, they fought really hard. I have so much respect for that organization and those guys. And whether they have BAM, Dragic, one, both, neither healthy, injured, whatever it may be, these guys are going to continue fighting, but from the Laker perspective, and we'll get into it, a lot was working, and and a lot was working even with a lot that LA could probably improve upon moving forward.
0: Yeah, that opening six minutes, they kind of highlighted a weakness in the Lakers defense that I kind of noticed in the second game we played against them in the regular season with those empty side pick and rolls. They ran that over and over, and... Put Dwight in space and he was struggling to get out and do those hedges like you said and recover to bam uh, we also were blitzing the Duncan Robinson like catch and shoot opportunities which to his credit he made a lot of really nice dump off passes that led to open threes and you know chances at the rim so they were getting any shot they wanted basically and life was very easy as the Lakers as they are prone to do start slow and kind of read the opponent i think is what i'm learning that that this is their style of of sitting back and watching and and then coming up with you know a more specific a plan of attack but we saw the run start when lebron came out and dwight came out you know once the lakers went small and anthony davis in the small lineup had a ridiculous net rating i forget what it is i think it was like 51 net rating wow. in the small ball lineup with anthony davis We also have to remind everyone that Bam Adebayo didn't get a single assist in 21 minutes after injury, and Goran Dragic only played 15, and Goran Dragic was a plus one in his 15 minutes. He was only three for eight, but he's the exact type of player that the Lakers had faced in the first three rounds that could give them trouble in the future. Now, Goran is not as talented as those three guys He's not the otherworldly shot maker that those three guys are, right? But he can put pressure on the Lakers' defense in a way that pretty much no one else on this team can. So his absence, and once you, if that was the play that he got injured on that they were replaying, which it looks like it was, his explosiveness was severely limited in the plays after that. And even if he plays, he probably will not be able to take advantage of those same coverages from the Lakers the way he used to be. Mm -hmm. So I'm not really sure how to react to his um, effect in the series going forward. He could still shoot 40% from three and really kill the Lakers. That's totally a possibility. But he's going to be attacked on defense like Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson, and they're not going to be able to hide any of these guys that actually give him a chance to score on the offensive end.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, we saw him play a little bit limited and for him, what, what Dragic is really good at is getting to and, and finishing at the rim and that is what ends up driving a lot of the offense for Miami when he is able to attack downhill. And if he is limited in, in that way and we have an elite ball screen defender in Alex Crusoe that'll be out there a lot of times get, working around those screens and right on his back, right on his hip, I feel much better about and, and I know I, I advocated for drop coverage earlier in the in, before the, the game, but even more so now, if you have Crusoe there to get that back pressure and you know that Dragic isn't going to explode off that screen, the focus really is to play 2v2 basketball and make sure that your big is able to cover Bam and, and not need to send extra help, which is what we ended up seeing a lot of the times when uh, LA did play those more aggressive screen coverages where... They weren't quite doubling the ball screens, but they weren't dropping back. And that resulted in Bam getting behind Dwight or Morris or AD, whoever it was, and our wings needing to help in, which gave up some open threes. And Miami is a team that they don't have a ton of guys that are going to create offense. And and we saw guys in situations last night that they're not the most comfortable with and, and struggle there, but they have plenty of dudes that can catch and shoot and really, really hurt the Lakers from three. So being able to keep that a 2v2 two two situation is something that I think they already could have done, but they can do even more so now With if Dragic is going to play and be limited. That really, really hurts specifically how he's effective and how his effectiveness opens other things up for the Heat.
0: All right, so... Like I mentioned just now, the side picket rolls, the Lakers are very vulnerable. And Tim, what are some of the data on those? The Miami Heat got 13 handoff opportunities in this game per synergy. How did the Lakers struggle against that? And do you expect to see that with guys like Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero? And and is that the way Miami is going to be trying to attack our defense?
1: It's one way, and it, it, it is a way that they can use to get Robinson some offense um, because when Hero's not creating for him and he's not using handoffs, there, there isn't a lot else. There aren't a lot of other ways that he'll he'll gener- generate offense, but um, Duncan Robinson, who only had, I think, three shots last night, we'll see more handoffs for him. Um, LA really switched up how they were defending these. We saw a couple where they were, most of the time, they would trail whoever was coming off the handoff. Sometimes the big man wouldn't hedge at all. He would just stick on the the guy making the handoff, which wasn't ideal. Um, If you can catch up and stay behind that guy and keep back pressure, it it could work. But once we saw that uh, along the corner, turning the the corner, going baseline, and there's really just no help there. So you want to have some sort of hedge from that big. In some occasions, we did see that catch hedge where they didn't step out aggressively, but they were there. And on all three of those uh, times, we saw Miami get pretty good offense or they may not have score, but they generated an advantage. Um, a couple times we saw the Lakers go under those handoffs. Now, this isn't something you can do with Robinson, but against Hero or against Dragic, this is something that the Lakers went to. Again, only only twice, but both times they pretty much negated that action because those guys take a little bit to to get into that shot. And then three times we saw LA switch this. One time we saw them just go under without a hedge and it actually gave up an open three-pointer to none. But I think switching it would be the way to go. Or if you're able to, try to get out in front of that action and, and force the guy to reject it, which isn't always possible. When, it, when it's just a, a normal handoff, you can try, and you can try to overplay it. But if it's one of those, what we'd call a Chicago action, where Duncan Robinson is first coming off of a down screen and then going into the handoff, that's an extra screen that his defender needs to run by in order to, to get in position. So in a situation like that, you you can trail if you want, um, and I'd be stepping out and trying to make sure that Robinson can't get those easy threes. Or what you can try to do is have the the man who's setting that down screen step out and, and switch on to Robinson. Um, so switch the first action and then try to reject the second action. And if you can't, then switch the second action. Because we saw, I mean, we see it in the data. We've seen it for these guys on the year. And last night when Ellie was switching these actions, they, they don't have the guns to really isolate and attack you the way that other teams might be able to. Like, Duncan Robinson's not going to blow by Dwight Howard and drive to the rim and finish at the rim. Um, or he's not going to dance around on the perimeter and, and take threes. If, if you stop that initial action, Ellie's in pretty good shape. So there are a couple ways you can approach it, but overall, we did an okay job. I still think they got a number of good opportunities. Um, we got a little bit lucky from a shot-making standpoint with them, but that's how I would approach it moving forward.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely there will be many shots to go around if Goran Dragic isn't going to be available to play. And those guys, I I think Kendrick Nunn, you know, you saw him come in and be able to kind of attack the Lakers with kind of different speed to kind of get them off on their heels. And he was able to get some points in garbage time. Yes, I'll give you that. But he got going. And I know Anthony Davis mentioned after the game, he specifically said we can't let that happen. We can't let any of these guys get into a rhythm into a flow and really be able to become a role player that plays outside of his role and gives you like superstar numbers on any given night. So Miami's going to have to get creative. I'm confident that they will because Bolsha is a great coach and they still have good pieces and they can uh, exploit some of the Lakers weaknesses in this matchup. But all in all, it looked like a dominant wire to wire performance from the Lakers minus the first six minutes and They really did a great job on the defensive end. That's what I wanted. Really had to lock in on the defensive end, and it got them great opportunities in transition. Uh, The other major kind of way the Lakers exploited this team was through isolation and post-ups. We had uh, way more post-ups in the game than usual, it felt like. So how did the Lakers perform in those? I thought that they were trying to double to AD early, and he did a good job getting the ball around and... Green, KCP, Rondo, they were all great at getting into the middle of the paint. Really swinging the ball. Kuzma did as well. So how did you think the Lakers took advantage of those play types?
1: Yep. So what we saw this series from Miami or this game from Miami actually really surprised me. Um, In in the previous three series, we saw what we have been referring to as paint packing, where whoever's on ball is on ball. Often it might be a mismatch, but then the other four defenders will get in or around the paint and in a position where if LeBron does try to drive, he's driving into people. Or if AD does try to drive, he's driving into people. What we saw instead from Miami was I, I counted 28 times in the game where one of those two Laker players isolated from the post or the perimeter. Maybe they didn't get a shot off, but 28 times we tried to isolate Many of those, most of those were after running a pick and roll where Miami was just easily giving up switches. And this isn't like against Denver where the Lakers were trying to run catch hedges and then they strung them out and we had to switch. This was just immediate switches, no contest. Miami was more than happy to let LeBron pick whoever he wanted to attack and then attack them 1v1. Six of those 28 isolations, Miami didn't bring any help. All six of those times we scored. 12 points on six possessions. Our guys against their weakest players are going to score almost every time. And so what they did instead, and they weren't using much paint packing or really any paint packing for, for most of the game was they were bringing doubles often from right in front of LeBron or AD. They would, they would double off of shooters literally right in front of them the same way that we got upset last series about the Lakers doubling Jokic by leaving uh, Jamal Murray wide open right in front of him. The, the easiest pass, whether you're a good playmaker or a bad playmaker, that pass is going to go to that guy. So when uh, Miami doubled from from the top side, which I counted on 11 different times, LA was able to make those easy passes, and we didn't see much rotation from the other Miami defenders to try to cover for that. And because of that, we saw LA get 20 points on those 11 possessions, um, and it, it just, it was not smart double teaming. If, if you're going to send that guy, you need to send the next defender to go take his man. And if you're not going to do that, what I would maybe do instead is don't send the dude right in front of him. Instead of that, send the next defender over from the weak side to go double on the, side, on the high side and then zone up weak. Because the, the past 15 feet in front of you that you're looking at is a much easier, much quicker, easier to burn situation than AD needing to turn into the double team and throw the ball across the court because that might get tipped, that might get picked off. He might throw it out of bounds. It might go to the guy's feet or, or way up in the air, all kinds of different things. So they doubled, but they didn't double in a smart way. And LA really took advantage of that. Now, one thing that Miami did that did work pretty well was when they did double baseline in a way that the Lakers you know, didn't have an easy pass. A lot of times we didn't even see that double coming until LeBron or AD turned into it. And on those three occasions, we didn't get any points and we didn't really seem to have any organized attack. And often uh, we just looked surprised against it. So doubling baseline, I think, had success. Miami can try doubling smarter from the top side. But, I mean, you can't just leave guys wide open. And uh, one time we actually saw both where they doubled from the top side and baseline and they triple teamed AD. And, and he didn't. we didn't score off of that. But um, we also saw a little bit of stunting. Where instead of doubling, they would take like a step over, act as though they're going to double and then immediately recover to their man, no matter what our ball handler did, which on a couple occasions got our guys to pick the dribble up. And that all of a sudden, I don't care how bad of a perimeter defender you are, if you're defending LeBron and he can't dribble, that's that's an easy defensive assignment, I mean, relative to defending LeBron. So they tried that on a few occasions, that worked pretty well for them. If I'm Miami, I'd be stunting more, I'd be doubling baseline more doubling from the high side, but but either rotating over or sending someone from the weak side, that would work. Very late in the game, we saw Miami start to do their paint packing. They tried it twice late in the fourth quarter. The game was out of hand, but both times they didn't give up good shots. And I would expect more of that and then a mix of those other doubles moving forward. Miami doesn't have great rim protection. Their, their one rim protector is Bam, and he's not an elite rim protector. He's still good but it, he's not going to be able to cover for all of the weak perimeter defenders these guys have. So getting bodies in that paint ahead of time, the same way we've seen other teams do against the Lakers in previous rounds, is, is a recipe for at least more success in that regard. So if they do get in those situations, look to do that. And Miami needs to do a better job of avoiding those mismatches by just not giving up immediate uh, isolations, like actually make the Lakers work for it. You can't let LeBron be a step in front of half court and then get an auto switch from you because that's, that's just really poor defense.
0: Yeah, you definitely saw Miami switch a lot more easily than you would expect for guys like Jimmy Butler and, and Jay Crowder to fight a little bit harder to go under screens even and make the Lakers beat them that way. But just switching that easily gives the Lakers exactly what they want and hunting mismatch, mismatches for LeBron as well as giving the other players to take guys off the dribble and you saw you know like I said Danny Green getting off the dribble getting making a nice baseline dish to keep the advantage right because once the LeBron gets the advantage but or Anthony Davis gets the advantage you have to keep that advantage until you can get a good shot or at least the shot you want ideally and then you'll settle for just a good shot but the Lakers were doing that and they were getting just about anything they wanted I don't think they'll probably shoot 39.5% next game, and we have to be prepared for that. But Miami is going to ask us to shoot 43s a game and pray that we shoot below 30%, and that will give them the chance to get out and transition and hurt the Lakers in other ways. Mm -hmm. But I want to transition now to the same topic, but the Miami Heat will have to adjust based on their injuries now. So how do these coverages... Effect, I think we'll see probably Myers Leonard and Kelly Olenek guys are a little bit more, you know, or at least Kelly olynyk has got a little bit more speed to do some of those stunts that you described. Myers Leonard does a little bit more kind of strength to him to maybe not get bullied around in the paint. So how do the Lakers continue to keep that advantage with new guys coming into the lineup?
1: Yeah, so I think it just comes down to how Miami chooses to to defend. If they send an extra guy from that top side, make sure you're spaced out well enough and, and just kick it out for those open threes. If, if they're willing to give that up, we should be willing to take it. Be, just because we're not a great three-point shooting team doesn't mean we shouldn't be taking wide open threes in, in those sorts of situations. Now, if they bring help from the baseline I, I, or, or from weak side and start zoning up, then it turns into a situation where we either need cutting for from our players or we need setting some of those pin-in screens like we talked about last series where we take advantage of those two-on-one situations and give LeBron or give AD a very clear target to throw to and and have that other player almost be like an offensive line and, and keep that defense from being able to recover to that player. So So those are some of the ways. Another thing that we might see from Miami that they tried only twice this game was fronting ad whenever they had a small guy on him and then from the weak side they would have bam or Iguadala or Alinek just trying to sit on that lob this is this uh, literally the same thing that the lakers did against denver when Jokic had a, a little guy on him a couple times the way that we can try to break that would be to either lift the big man f- who who I mean, if it's Bam that's playing the the weak side, playing that lob, have Bam's man flash to the high post, get it to him, and then try to make that post entry. Or what you can do is have whoever's sending that help, if it's Bam again, have that player set a screen for uh, another shooter on the weak side and and try to take advantage of whatever two-on-one situation you get. Um, There won't be a cookie cutter, this is what you need to do every single time, because Miami could mix up how they're sending this extra help and how they're defending these actions. But as long as they're sending more than one person, you should be able to cut or screen or space out. And then as long as the right reads are being made, LA should be able to maintain that advantage. And like you mentioned, Danny Green being able to drive or like Alex Caruso had a couple decisive drives where he cut, got the ball and attacked or got the ball because his man was doubling and needed to recover and he was able to attack immediately. We, you don't want to let the defense W and then kick it out and then let them recover and then try to attack because then you lose all of the advantage that you just gained Kuzma we saw do this a bit if if that advantage is there your choices are shoot drive or pass but I mean like like we saw Houston do when we gave them four on three situations a lot of time for them it was either shoot or pass and no drive if the drives there take that drive because that can often turn a small advantage into a bucket especially against a team with no rim protection or that small advantage into an even bigger advantage if you further collapse the defense and then kick it out for three. So there are different ways to do it. We're going to have to rely on IQ and and adjustments and coaching within the game. But we've seen the Lakers do all of these different things at points in time. They'll just have to be ready and and, and have that put together for this next game because I do not anticipate we will see as simple double teaming and in, as infrequent double-teaming as, as we saw this last game, because LA's just going to burn that every time.
0: I mean, their answer is kind of what Denver's answer was, right? It's the pre-rotating and a lot more of – there was a couple of possessions that Anthony Davis hits in the high post, and pretty much every Miami Heat player had a foot in the paint, and that just squeezed everyone into the paint, and he can hit those guys on the skip pass and still punish them, whether it's Myers Leonard or Kelly Olynyk guarding him. They don't have any answer for Anthony Davis and and – it's becoming clearer and clearer each game.
1: Why don't we take a look at on on another thing that I was expecting a little bit more of, but we didn't really see was the zone from Miami. Um, I counted in the whole game only three possessions of it. So it it I mean it went by in a blink of an eye. It's it you may have even missed it um, watching live um, on those three possessions. One time they didn't even line up correctly, and we got an, a wide open Danny Green three pointer. One time, uh, AD was flashed to the high post, which is a good way to attack this. Um, but then he got swarmed and missed a jumper. And then once we ran a ball screen and and LeBron was able to drive, and he actually had a really nice spin move, I think off of Jimmy Butler, and he finished at the rim. So they didn't really try it all that much. I was honestly surprised they didn't go to it more because the alternative was letting the Lakers just continue to pick mismatches and, and attack. Uh, so we may see a little bit more of it, I don't necessarily think that it's going to be the best way to stop the Lakers, but it's better than what they tried in the first game. So Miami has some options. Many of the options will be an improvement from what game one looks like. A lot of the options may not be enough to make these tight games, but this is one of those options that they could go to and would allow them to at least force the Lakers to have to be intentional and purposeful about the mismatches they're hunting and how they go about attacking those.
0: So one thing about Miami zone that's been talked about is that they, they invert the guards and the forwards, right? So that the forwards are up top at the point of attack and they have the guards in the corners, um, pinching into the the short corner and, and digging on drives and, and whatnot. So that makes for most teams in the league with, you know, Jay Crowder and Jimmy Butler, that makes it really tough to kind of push your way through that, uh, front line of attack their foot speed's good enough they're big enough guys they're handsy they'll poke the ball away Jimmy's great at reading passing lanes but against the Lakers in the regular season they didn't do that they had the guards at the top and in their 2-3 zone and that was part of when the Lakers picked them apart and like when Pete broke down that 2-3 zone video how the Lakers got into the middle with Anthony Davis and then cut behind and did all kinds of, you know, overloads of the strong side just to kind of create those interior passing lanes for, you know, you get it into the middle and then you have JaVale in the dunker spot. You're going to get AD in the dunker spot too. And really just overpower them with size because the zone is helpful for if you don't have great rim protection, mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to get to the rim. But if they're going to be able to get into the middle so easily with Anthony Davis, who can catch a pass over anyone on Miami's team, They have to front him and like bracket him on the other side so that the pass can't drop in over the front. And that guy's also got to be able to recover to the the skip pass in the corner. Mm -hmm. And we saw a couple of KCP, I think, shots like that. Yeah, Rondo's great at that pass. Miami's going to be shit out of options without looking into the 2-3 zone. I don't know. I don't know what they do. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm struggling to find stuff. Hey, no, I, I, mean, I want to be objective, even though it's the Lakers exceptionalism pod, but...
1: <laughs> it's a tough situation. They, they don't have the best personnel to defend us. And like you said, in the regular season, they actually had their 2-3 zone set up in a more traditional, conventional way with the bigger guys on the back line and the guards up front. Against us, that might actually be the better approach because if they do have the guards in the back and the bigs up front, we can just go post up those wing players. If, if you stick LeBron in the middle of that zone and draw Bam up to him, then AD can just go pick whichever wing defenders is the weaker guy. And it might be Hero, it might be Dragic if he's playing, it might be Robinson, and you can just go po- post him up. So I think in against a team like LA that likes to isolate a bit more and attack through post-ups, playing it more traditionally, which is different from what Miami has done in the post postseason but has been what they've done uh, during the, the regular season against LA might be the way to go. And, and like you said, if you can front that post, have that guy weak side, that might deter some of this. It, it puts everybody in a more natural, like, okay, I know what my job is right now sort of position. Whereas if they're playing man-to-man defense and trying to do this, you might have different guys in different positions all based on how LA is aligning. And that might make those rotations more difficult. And you, you might end up in situations where just there are blown coverages or, I mean, against man-to-man defense, you can stick AD at the top of the key, Bam's on him, and then LeBron can just go attack. And we saw this numerous, numerous times in game one where Bam just couldn't get to the rim to defend it. So if you have one rim protector, you want to keep him by the rim. And if they're not going to do that, I think they Miami needs to look to do more of paint packing. They need to do more pre-rotating because... I think, we, I think I saw one possession of it. I don't even know if it was on purpose. I, they need to do those things. They need to go under ball screens. They need to play, be playing drop coverage in ball screens instead of uh, switching. They need to, when they do have switches, and, and it doesn't matter if, I don't know, it doesn't matter if, uh, who's a great defensive, it doesn't matter if Alex Caruso or, or, or Tom Zayas is defending LeBron on the perimeter. If you've got... A, a, an army of people right behind him to pick up that slack if you do get driven past. No no, no offense to your defense, Tom, but uh, I, I think just getting your <laughs> body in the way to start with would be what Miami wants to do. And if if the Lakers are getting open threes from penetrating and kicking, I would rather have them have to pass early and make those guys beat us when we know where we're recovering to and be ready for it rather than do what Miami did in game one. So I think pre-rotating, going under screens, paint packing, all of that, it's not new to LA and LA knows how to beat it. And we've seen LA beat it, but right now Miami isn't making the Lakers go past their, their, their game plan A. They need to at least push us to plan B or plan C because then maybe we'll mess up our execution or it'll take a little bit to recognize it. They have to be asking the right questions to prove that we still know what the answer is. Um, And and so far, we just haven't seen that. So zone's one way to do that. Those other tactics that we saw from Denver and then Portland and Houston did a bit of that pain packing. That's another way, but they they need to use some of those. Otherwise, they have no chance in the series, regardless of who's healthy.
0: So in the playoffs, uh, there's not a lot of sample here, but against the zone, the Lakers have a 1.071 points per possession. Every other play, they're 1.002. So they're significantly better. That's doesn't seem like a lot, but it is. And that extra efficiency, you know, it's like Miami's zone is like a knuckleball, right? And the Lakers are a hitter who's really good at hitting not just the knuckleball, but they're they're gonna hit that out of the park. Maybe they used to be a catcher who caught a knuckleball. I know how these things dance and mm-hmm. I don't think it's an answer for Miami and I think it was proven in the regular season and they're going to have to learn from Denver's tip footage who I thought defended the Lakers best out of anyone in the playoffs so far and see how they did that because they don't have a ton of rim protection either. Jokic is big and bigger at least, but Mm -hmm. all right, man. So let's move on to the Lakers playing small. Um, I honestly thought Dwight shouldn't start this series because of the foul situation. Miami had the best free throw rate in the regular season. The Lakers have been really poor fouling team in the playoffs. Part of that is due to Dwight, who has an outrageous foul rate. And the Lakers struggled in those minutes with Dwight. And then as soon as Anthony Davis moved to the five, they went on a big run and kept that run until the end of the game. So do you think that that proves that Anthony Davis should start at the five in the next game or do you think that there's just things we did wrong in those minutes and Dwight did much better in the second half to be sure but we can definitely see how Miami used that against us to to gain an advantage
1: and we saw that but I would I I think what what I'm thinking is if we look at what the difference was between Dwight's first stint and then playing later on and why one was more successful than the other and then on, on on offense and on defense in the second stint we saw la dominate the boards we were driving better we were more purposeful in our attack which is something we we covered earlier at the beginning of the game he was out there but we weren't utilizing him or, or really anybody the way we wanted um we we had those like crazy kcp fall away shots and danny green running pick and roll into the corner all kinds of dumb stuff later in the game on offense we were attacking the way we wanted and Dwight was did his job. He did a good job. He was getting offensive rebounds. He was even making, he he had two assists where he would like get the ball and then dump it off to AD for, for easy dunks or a, a third time that AD was fouled on that. But I think that was, I think I counted three. There might've been a fourth time where Dwight was actually being a pretty good playmaker, at least within that role. If we look at the defensive end, what the Lakers started the game off doing and, and what I mentioned at the start was, you know, 18 of the first 20 points were attacking our catch hedges. And Dwight was the guy out there doing that. As soon as we went to small, we got away from that. We switched a bit more and, and we were able to negate a lot more of those actions because Miami's not great at attacking those switches. We on the game switched 13 times against the Miami pick and roll. And they got four points off of it total. Seven of the 13 times they didn't even get a shot off or any sort of advantage. During the situation or even later in the possession, when we ran our catch hedges 24 times, six of them were negated where we didn't give a shot up. But over the other 18 chances, Miami scored 31 points and 18 of those first 31 were uh, 18 of those 31 were in that like beginning of the game later in the game. When Dwight went back in, we started running a bit more drop coverage. And Miami didn't score a single point off of that. They were, we ran it about half a dozen times. Miami didn't score. That That's what I was recommending we should go to. And that's what Miami is weaker against with the personnel they have. Um, so if we play Dwight, we should be running drop coverage. If you play small, LA should be switching. I think it's, I mean, obviously it's good to have one working. I think in theory we could have both working. I think offensively, we figured out the right way to utilize it. And actually on the game as a whole, Dwight's like on-off net rating was a slight positive. Defensively, he was a negative, but that was because we were running the wrong coverages. So if LA can look at this, figure out the right screen coverages to run, and then execute that next game, that puts Dwight in a much better position that's more natural for his skill set. It's a more It's a better fit against Miami's Methods of attacks and their skill set and I think we can see success with it moving forward I don't I don't think we necessarily need to play A.D. and Morris and LeBron as our fours and fives for the whole game I think mixing in some of that big ball, especially when we're we're collecting like 40% of our offensive rebounds in those situations when Dwight was out there compared to like 20% when Morris was out there I think that's beneficial for the Lakers on both ends of the court
0: so there's a funny thing here where I think they don't need to play big to win, but that doesn't mean they can't play big to an advantage. Does mm-hmm. that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think we should win either way. But right. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd rather win by 30 instead of 20 or 20 instead of 10 or 10 instead of 5. Sure.
0: Or I'd rather win by getting every offensive rebound mm-hmm. instead of outscoring them, you yeah. know, or instead no. of like defending them. Different like,
1: offensive attacks, different defensive game plans. But both right. We've seen LA execute both, and we've seen how both can work, and in theory do work against the opponent that we're facing.
0: And that drop coverage is what we ran against them primarily in the regular season games. And I, you know, they're Miami's personnel is different, but it's they're, they're still the same philosophy of a team, how they operate. They're cutting. They, you know, have guys who are deliberate and and move with with purpose. And Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic, and then they have guys that are gunners and Hero and Robertson and and now Craig Crowder. They're, each guy knows their role. They're very similar teams too, right? Each team has that culture where every guy is in a role where they can succeed. And now my and for Miami, they're going to have guys pushed out of that comfort role zone that got them to the finals because of injuries. So it's just really difficult. I think Kendrick Nunn is going to come into major minutes in game two. I don't think he will be as successful as he was because in the regular season, I think five blocked. Uh, he had five of his field goal attempts blocked in two games. Wow! So I don't think Kendrick Nunn is going to come off of the bench and average eighteen a game per the ser- you know, per game this series and make a big difference. But if they have any chance, he needs to come out and attack the Lakers with speed if they're gonna be in drop coverage, hit pocket passes, and finish at the rim. Yep. And he's not Jamal Murray. Um,
1: Let me give you some counterpoint. If LA does go to drop coverage, and we look at what Nunn has been poor and good against this year, using using some second spectrum data I was able to get from a source, he's actually their one guy who can beat drop coverage really well. And his skill set and, and, and just the way he's comfortable running that is actually much, much better than... A Tyler Hero, who is an excellent elite catch-and-shoot three-point shooter, but on pull-up threes, he's he's still good but much worse and is a guy who may make the wrong reads and can struggle with turning the ball over at times. And we saw him last night. He, obviously, he had a, a crazy plus-minus number, but that was happening for a reason. A lot of it was on the defensive end and his, his mistakes and inabilities. But on the offensive end, he, like you said, was put in a situation that isn't the role that he has thrived in to get Miami to this point. So instead of trying to have him fill that role, if I give you a, like a, a, an NFL analogy, instead of taking your uh, Z wide receiver, your slot guy, and sticking him as your X wide receiver, have your backup X wide receiver play the X wide receiver role if your X wide receiver out. Right. Um, it's a different kind of job. They're still, you know, same position, but their roles are different. Their skill sets are different. Keep guys within the roles they can excel at, and it just needs to be a next-man-up mentality where none is a guy who, and I talked about this last podcast, he can be frustrating at times. He can make poor decisions at times. He's a very weak perimeter defender. But if the Lakers are dropping, he's good against that. If Miami does start paint-packing and have that defense behind him, the value you lose by having him on the court isn't really all that much from a perimeter defensive standpoint, especially when Miami's, like, even if he's not playing, Miami's going to have two or three or four guys LeBron or AD can go after. So you're not really losing much there with his perimeter defense. He is somebody who can shoot really well. We saw that last game. He has actually really good playmaking data, other than, again, that passing efficiency. He can turn the ball over. He is the second best player on this team in terms of getting to the rim and finishing at the rim only second to Jimmy Butler, and actually a little bit better than Goran Dragic. He, he gets to the rim like Dragic does, but he actually does a better job adjusting for the, the degree of difficulty at finishing at the rim. So he, I'm not sure he's able to quite fill those shoes of Dragic, and it won't be perfect. He may turn the ball over more. But in this situation, with where Miami is as a team, this might be a, a Hail Mary you throw. This might be the guy you throw in there. And if he can give you good minutes, that's a huge boost to them. And I would rather do that and let Hero play that off-ball role than have the roles reversed because Nunn's probably going to play regardless. So put him in the role that's best for him, and that is another way I think they might be able to give themselves a little bit of a boost in Game 2, maybe a little bit out of nowhere.
0: I think you're completely right about that, and I think that's what Eric Spolster will do. So moving on here toward the end of the show, just toward things to look for for Game 2. I expect Kendrick Nunn to start in place of Goran Dragic, or at least I would be in support of that. I think that's the right call, Mm -hmm. Uh, putting or like position players in places that they can succeed. And Tyler Hero has expanded his game in the playoffs and been a much better playmaker than he was in the regular season. But that doesn't mean he's ready to get 25 minutes as a lead ball handler for a team in the NBA Finals at age 21. And Kendrick Nunn was, what, third in rookie in the year? Second? Something like that? He had a good season, and he was a much different player in those regular season games. He was attacking the Lakers. He struggled, but he gave them something that is another card up your sleeve. Mm -hmm. And if Tyler Hero can play his role that he's done all season with a good effect and be good there, you get... More advantage. And Kendrick Nunn comes in and gives you 78 percent of what Goran Drogic had and a little bit more in other areas, like you mentioned. And then I probably expect Bam to miss this game as well and Myers Leonard to start in his place.
1: Ooh, interesting. So I I, I, think, don't. I think Leonard might be the move for Miami, just looking at what he's good at, what he's poor at. He is sure. the best post defender that they have that they can send out there, uh, like other than Bam, to, to go de- defend AD. But interestingly enough, last game, they went to a Linux before him, which I don't, I mean, I don't think I agree with, but I also haven't watched every single Miami game of the playoffs and analyzed it. So I would assume if we talked to some Heat fans, they might have a good reason for why that was the case. Um, And I looked at some numbers. (laughs) Miami's been killed in the minutes that Leonard has played in the playoffs. But just with the specific matchup, I think his skill set is the preferred skill set over what a Linux brings, specifically... To defend AD, and then both of them are, are four for spacing shooters. So yeah, that I, I'd expect that we might see if Dragic do, Dragic does play him operate more off ball if they use non on ball hmm. ball screen actions because Dragic honestly, if you look at his like efficiency even during the playoffs, he's not all that efficient of a ball screen guy, but he's been excellent catching and shooting, which is something he can still do even if his foot isn't feeling great. Um, yeah, so it. it Assuming that we see some lineups like that, if he does play but is limited, that might be a better role to push him into that still allows him to operate at close to normal efficiency as opposed to that diminished burst really hurting him as a ball screen player. Um, I agree with the the, the adjustments you've mentioned. I think we might see more zone, and, and we've covered how LA can beat the zone. I think we might see more handoffs in the absence of Dragic ball screens. Um, And and like we said, LA switching those or trying to make Miami reject those would be the way to go. I think uh, Miami should be working on not giving up switches as easily. And LA's counter would be to be more aggressive in ball screen situations, really force those switches to happen by attacking downhill or flipping those screens, um, using them in in secondary breaks to go at the basket and and really try to force those switches and then pull it out and then isolate. Um, I think... Miami can double smarter like we've we've talked about and the counters to that are really cutting, screening, taking advantage of those two-on-ones wherever they might be. Miami should probably pack the paint. And again, pin and flares and cutting are the counters. Uh, Some pre-work on isolations and post-ups with with more fronting or uh, three-quarter high or lowing that AD or LeBron and having a guy behind. Um, The counter, like we said, would be to flash like Dwight to the high post and, and enter that way or attack that 2v1 you're getting weak side. Um, just just rapid fire. What else do I have? Uh, I think using Bam as a low post playmaker instead of from the perimeter, if he does play, would be a smart move for Miami. Um, using split cuts gets two scoring options out in, instead of the one that you normally get from a handoff. It still gets you those shooting opportunities, but it lets Bam be the playmaker he can be and make those role, uh make those reads like he can. And then if it doesn't work, he can go execute a handoff with somebody. But allowing him to pass to guys cutting if LA does switch those actions, and if LA doesn't switch, looking to get the ball to Hero, get the ball to Dragic or Duncan Robinson and let them catch and shoot from three. I think that's something we'll see more of, and it's something Miami does. Uh, We just didn't see it in game one. Uh, I think using more pistol action, which is where you get the ball to bam, maybe a step inside the three-point line on the wing and then have a player run behind him. Maybe they get the handoff, maybe they don't, maybe that player will then go set a screen and, and Bam will hand off to the, the next guy. You can do a bunch of different things from that, but what this will help Miami do is let Hero or Nun or Butler or whoever attack downhill and force switches against the Lakers or get drop coverage, um, which would be my two go-tos for the Lakers, and then try to attack from there. Um, if you can get Bam slipping to the rim from closer to the rim than from the top of the, the key, uh, you might be able to take advantage of his size a little bit more against Laker guards. Um, like we said, more none. And I think, what is that, like 13, 14 different things Miami should look to do, but there's a lot that they could improve upon. So I, I would assume we see at least probably like half of these maybe, um, but but there's a lot that Miami needs to do. This is the biggest list I've had for any Laker playoff game this postseason um, for either team, um, but they're they're going to need to make some of these to, to have a chance in game two.
0: Yeah. And the other thing is, so they played Andre Iguodala at the five for some minutes in this game. And I'm sorry, that's just, he's not the player that he used to be. And when he was the player he used to be, I'm not sure he could guard Anthony Davis. You know, he's not as big. He's great with his hands. And I just kept thinking like Andre Godala got stripped. There were so many good fast hand strips on the Lakers defense tonight, you know, guys, swiping at the ball when they're bringing it in front of them to, to get up a shot or to put up a, an alley-oop or put up a a skip pass so many strips. And that was like prime Andre Iguodala. Mm -hmm. And then on the other end, he's getting just completely walked under the basket by ADs, getting offensive rebounds, getting his own offensive rebounds, bouncing off him, getting uh, fouls called on him. You can't play Andre Iguodala at the five in the series no matter what the Lakers lineup is. And that's because part of his inability to be an effective player on offense is that that's his role now and where the NBA has gone. But the Lakers are a unique team. They're not like every other team. So you have to play Myers Leonard and Kelly Olenek in the series and hope that they can pick and pop and help you beat that drop coverage. You know? and get open threes and make five threes in a game that can really swing the outcome you got to shoot for the moon right otherwise like you got no shot
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree there's there's a lot they'll need to change they only have a one-off day to figure it all out so it, it, i wouldn't expect the same volume of these to be adjusted like we might see in a normal year in a normal playoff situation but Miami will probably nonetheless make a lot of these they have the personnel they have the coaching staff to to give me some confidence in that we've seen them play this chess game last series. Obviously, they're they're overmatched from from a talent standpoint in this, in this series if they have these guys injured. But uh, I, I still think we're going to see a lot of fight from them a lot of adjustments on the Lakers side. You want to either be dropping or, or switching those pick and rolls depending on the personnel. If none does come in, I think using catch hedges would be the way to approach him because he really has trouble with with throwing those lobs at times, and that would take away the, the early threes from him. Um, I think switching handoffs or trying to force Miami to reject those when you can would be the way to go, which they did at times, but they can really hone that focus on this game. I think ball pressure on Bam when he is facilitating, if he does play, will be key. This is something we saw last game. LA's bigs just kind of watched him hand off and, and make those actions. And if they're not sagging, if they are sagging off of him, that makes it harder for them to go show once he does hand the ball off, if that's what we want to be doing. And when you have nobody in his face, he can be an elite facilitator in those situations. But if you bother him a bit, he will probably miss some of those back cuts. It'll be harder to get the ball out on time on target. Um, if you do get him to put the ball in the court, that is a situation he's really struggled with. Um, so so getting more pressure on him if he is playing and is in that situation would be key. And then uh, you just want more purposeful offense from the Lakers to start the game. I think they they kind of figured it out as the game went on, but there's no reason to not start this game by going right out of mismatch and trying to see what Miami's adjustments are. And if they're not there, just keep going at these mismatches because because they're available all game long based on the personnel and rotations that Miami's run in.
0: Yeah, it's gonna to be tough if Dragic and Adebayo are both doubtful. Uh, you know, doubtful is leaning on the, you know, obviously won't play side, but it's gonna be a hard time for the Heat to come out of this hole. And I I just now I regret picking the Lakers in so many games, you know, partially <laughs> because of the injury. But uh I'm happy to be three wins away from a... Uh, an NBA title and man, what a great feel last night on
1: Twitter was. I was, I was, I felt it. I
0: just kept firing off tweets like, like a madman. It was great.
1: It was fun. It's, it's going to be, I don't know, these next, this next week or two, if things go well, it's going to be just amazing going from watching this team from summer league and preseason analyzing all these games, paying attention to all this crap. And, and all of the, the storylines. And actually, we didn't see all that much drama with this Laker team this year, thankfully. From from an off-court standpoint, it's been more people doubting Not them. Enough. And, and yeah. I'm honestly rightfully doubting them. in the Lakers needing to go prove that they can improve as the year went along. I think some of the, uh, during the year additions that we made from a personnel standpoint, and that growth that the team took, has really gotten us to where we are. I, I think if we start the season with, the same team that that if I think if we're in, if we're here today with the same team that Polenka put together at the beginning of the year, without some of those in season changes and without the growth we saw, I'm not sure we make it this far. Or if we do, I think yeah. it would have been much more difficult. So we've, I mean, I, I I get people wanting to point to people doubting this team, but like honestly, I doubted this team. I, I had a phone call with your brother, I think a month into the season, <laughs> and he shared those doubts as well. Like a lot of us were like, this team has a lot. They're close. Yeah. But we don't know yet. There's, they still need a couple pieces, and they added those pieces, Markeef Morris being the biggest piece, and mm-hmm. they've grown as a team. And this coaching staff has really stepped up to the plate, and it's it's just been such a fun ride.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's It's such a – and the thing that's underrated about everything is these guys – had chemistry all season. That was clear off the court. I'm talking mm-hmm. these guys like each other and seeing Anthony Davison and LeBron talking and, and like A.D. standing in between Crowder and LeBron. That was just that being in a bubble where you're on the clock, basically, you know, 24 seven, even when you're playing golf with a teammate, like you are still on the clock, like your relationship with that teammate matters. That's a part of your job whether people realize that or not. And some teams have reportedly dealt with that very poorly in the bubble, but these guys respect each other. They like each other. They're all professionals about it. And it's, it's paying off for them and getting a couple, you know, breaks of the Clippers and Bucks losing. It's the two kind of teams that mashed up against the Lakers. And you, cause those were the two teams all along. I, I was worried about, you know, it's, it's a tough road to get to a finals either way, but yeah, once those two teams dropped out, man, it's just seemed like the path was opening up and excited to talk more and cover game two after that. And shouts to all our Lakers exceptionalism fans for chatting with us on Twitter.
1: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
0: This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand